Well, it's good to see you. Let's, uh, let's ask God to bless his word as we open it today. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the power it has to change lives, to change our lives. And we ask, Lord, that you would anoint your word this morning. I pray that uh, you would anoint me, that I would speak it in boldness and in truth. But Lord, we pray that you would anoint our ears so that we might hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would plant your seed, uh, the seed of your word, deep in our hearts. And that it would affect us, that it would change us, that that we would be uh, washed by the reading of your word. And that we would be renewed by the understanding of your word. Uh, So, Father, we just pray that you would be present here amongst us, doing this work in our hearts. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking about stories that have changed our world. And today, as you heard Earl read, we have a story of the soil or or the story of the sower, as it's often referred to. And, uh, you know, it's interesting about this parable. This parable actually has its own icon. You've probably seen this guy somewhere. Uh, he's, he's in literature. In fact, a lot of Bible societies have him as their uh, sort of mascot guy. You, can, you know that this is a Bible society, even though you can't read, Chi- well, some of you can't read Chinese. Is it? <laughs> Yeah, okay, it is, good. We have some experts in the crowd. So, uh, yes, it's a Bible society. Um, and so this this parable is very well known. A lot of people have seen it or know about it. They recognize the sower. Uh, of course, Bible societies have it because they're referencing the word of God being sown amongst the nations, and it's the word of God going out. And so that's why they use it as their uh, logo. Um but, you know, this Bible, this parable is not only popular, but the interpretation of the parable, it's actually spelled all right out there in scriptures. So it makes my job really easy. I, I don't have to uh, assume what Jesus is trying to say. I, he spells it out. It's, it's right there in the text. But before we all leave and say, well, yeah, Jesus already explained the sermon, um, stick around because I think sometimes we get the wrong impression when we hear this ser- this uh, parable. In fact, I think I've been guilty of having the wrong impression when I hear this parable. Uh, and part of it is because between the parable and the interpretation, there's this lengthy piece that almost makes it feel like Jesus is telling parables so that people won't understand them. And that somehow we are the lucky people who understand what Jesus is talking about. And therefore, we're sort of, we're the good soil, you know. And what can happen is uh, this traditional explanation that that Jesus gives of the parable, let me just go over it real quick. And and that is is that the sower is, is someone who gives out the word of God. And the seed is actually the word of God or the good news or the gospel. Uh, and, and then there's four types of listeners. One listener has a hard heart. You know, the, the gospel hits them and they're just like, mm, ah. and, and the devil just comes along and snatches that and it's gone. And then there's the people who, who they, they have an openness. They're, they're like a rocky soil, you know, they, they receive the gospel and they're excited about it. And maybe they pray, pray the sinner's prayer, but they don't ever, you know, attend church, read their Bible. They don't really have a relationship with God. And when trials hit, when problems happen, 
It makes absolutely no difference in their life. They're just like everyone else. And then there's this group of people that they get, they receive the gospel, they're excited about it. But the cares of this life, you know, having a job, having a spouse, having kids, and the deceitfulness of wealth, oh boy. That thing, this pursuit of material things, just waylays them. And I think probably in our churches across North America today, this is a pretty common person. And the reason they don't become fruitful Christians is that they're too concerned. Their, their priorities are elsewhere. And then there's the fourth listener. And this listener hears the words and, and puts it into practice. And what happens is they become, they grow spiritually and then they start producing fruit. In other words, they start doing ministry amongst other people and probably sharing the gospel with other people. And it says that, that they produce a, a harvest 160 and 30 fold. Um, and the, the, the thing about this, this parable is there's a trap in it and we can easily fall into it. And it's to think, okay, well, all our job is, all the preacher's job is to, to spread the seed and then if people don't listen, those pagans, you know, they're just, you know, they're damned because they didn't listen. And, and we kind of wipe our hands and we just say, what's their hard hearts? Oh, and those other people, well, it's their greediness. So they're not productive. And, and, and those other ones, the, those people who have a shallow faith, they, they don't really grow roots. They don't take the time to grow deep. That's their problem. But isn't it good that we are the good soil? Isn't it great? And the smugness sets in. And, and I mean, this is borne up right in the passage. The disciples come to Jesus and say, say to him, you know, like, how can you tell How can you talk in parables all the time? Like, and what does Jesus say? He says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. And I think we can hear this parable and we go like, ah, yeah. We're the good soil. Those pagans, they don't know the secrets of the kingdom of God. They got hard hearts. And I'm telling you, we totally miss this parable. We totally miss the, the, the message that God wants to give to us. And in fact, in verse 13, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of spelled, blessed are your eyes because you have seen, your ears because you hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you are seeing, but they didn't see it. They long to hear what you see, but they never heard it. And then there's in between, there's this whole thing about hearing and never hearing and listening but not listening. And, and we start to think that this whole parable is just about, you know, those other people and us. And we're the good guys and they're the bad people. And I don't think, I really doubt, seriously, that Jesus told this parable so that we could feel smug about ourselves. Don't you think? <laughs> Somehow I don't think so. <laughs> I think there's a, a, another, a deeper meaning to this parable than just feeling like, oh, we're, we're the good soil and they're the bad soil. Uh, now, I think, in fact, if you are the good soil, if you think you are the good soil, then I would have to challenge us to say, well, are you producing fruit? Do you have a hundred or sixty or thirty disciples? 
Have you spread the gospel 100 or 30 or 60 times? Uh, is your, are your good deeds overpouring into the lives of other people? Because that's really what determines what's the good soil, not just having received the word. In fact, all four of these people received the word, and probably all four of them were in church, you know? I don't really know. Uh, and so we need to be, be careful that we don't smugly say, oh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm the good soil. I'm in with Jesus. I got my salvation. You know, because I think if we start doing that, we start very much sounding like uh, someone in another parable that Jesus taught. And you see, Jesus taught a parable specifically for the people who respond maybe to this parable or other things by saying, we are God's chosen people, you know? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus tells this parable. He says there was these two guys that went to the temple to pray. The one guy was very religious, Pharisee, you know, very devout man of God. And he prayed, oh, Lord, I'm so thankful that I'm not like a bank robber or a child molester or like, like that tax, tax collector over there. <laughs> I tithe regularly and I pray regularly and uh, I'm so grateful that I'm part of your kingdom. <coughs> and then there was this other guy who came and he was a tax collector. In other words, he betrayed his country. Everybody hated him, despised and he came and he said, oh, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. <coughs> and Jesus says it's the tax collector that was made right before God. <clears throat> um, and so when I'm pretty sure that Jesus didn't say this parable so that we would have an excuse for all the people who don't listen to us as we share the gospel and say, oh, well, they just got hard hearts. I don't think that was the intent of this parable at all. Uh, I think that um, Jesus was concerned about the state of our, our hearts. And he's not presenting these as four characteristics or four people where their, their hearts are immutable. They can't be changed. In other words, why would he share a parable about four different states of hearts if he doesn't want us to actually change the state of our heart and so let's not consider our hearts to be static but that we are actually in this parable and that we're responsible to make sure that our hearts aren't like the first three hearts but that our hearts are actually like the third or the fourth heart and so it's our responsibility for that so this morning i'd like to share with you um four things that we need to do to cultivate our hearts. Um, there might be many, many things in our lives, not in other people's lives, in our lives, that is causing our hearts to be hard or, or our hearts to have a very thin layer of soil or our hearts to have weeds growing up and choking out uh, the good deeds that we might otherwise have done. So the first thing that I think that we ought to take note of is that just like a farmer who finds that there's a path in his field that people have been walking on and cattle have been walking on and it's become hard as rock, what does the farmer do if there's a path right through the middle of his field? 
What does he do? He gets out the plow and he plows it up so that it will receive the soil. In fact, I was a farmer as a kid and we actually had this thing called a seed drill. And a seed drill was this thing we towed behind the tractor and it had, had five units on it. And, and each unit had a little, a little plow blade like this that would plow up the dirt and would open up the dirt. And then there was this other little thing that would drop the seed down in, into that spot that was opened up. And then behind it, there was another one that closed over the dirt over the seed. It was called the seed drill. It was like drilling seed into the ground. It didn't actually use a drill bit, but that, you get the idea. And, and so if, if our hearts are hard, we need something to break that up. We need it, it to get prepared for the seed to be dropped in there. And so uh, when you come to church on Sunday, did you know that you should actually be preparing your heart to receive the Word of God? Did you know that when you open your Bible, when you have your daily reading, that you actually need to prepare your heart for the reading of God's Word? Did you know that when you, when you go to a Bible study, you shouldn't just show up and expect to be spoon-fed the Word of God There's a preparation that needs to happen ahead of time so that your heart will be in tune with God. You might wonder, like, uh, do we do that in our church service? I believe we do. What do I do before? I I think like 99.9% of the time, I always do this right before I preach. What do I do? I pray. Why do I do that? It's to prepare the soil. It's to ask God for his help in preparing the soil. And I often pray that I would speak God's truth and power and in in truth, right? But what do I also pray for? That the Holy Spirit would do what? Open our hearts, and I often say open our ears that we might hear what the Spirit has to say to the church, right? I, I pray that I, I do that intentionally because I realize that just preaching a good sermon is not enough. It needs the power of God to open up the soil, to break up the soil so that we would actually receive the Word of God. Um, so, you know, a lot of times we, we might come to church and we might be, be sitting there, you know, intently listening to the sermon and, uh, and yeah, we, we didn't really, uh, didn't really, um, oh, oh, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was up pretty late last night and look familiar? <laughs> I know it does for me sometimes. And, uh, you know, how do we expect God to plant seeds in that? You know, when we're half asleep, we didn't have enough sleep. And how do we expect God to plant seeds? But when we take good time, awake time, concentrated time, and we offer that as, as a time to God and say, God, can you teach me? God, can I learn from you? This is the prime time of my day. You know, it used to be that uh, I, would, I would do my Bible study at night because if I tried to do my Bible study first thing in the morning like everybody told me I should do, I would just fall asleep. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Now I'm older, and man, morning's the best time because, <laughs> you know, at night I'm like, <laughs> But preparing our heart means getting serious about it and giving a good part of our day to the Lord, not 
the leftovers, something that we don't care about uh, for Bible study or prayer. Um, preparing our heart means being ready to hear what God says to us and not going, oh, yeah, that's a good point, Pastor. I know so-and-so needs to hear that. You know? <laughs> and, and being concerned about someone else. No, God, God wants to speak to me. And that's why I say this parable is not primarily about those people who don't listen to the gospel. I think it's primarily about us and our hard hearts and our times when our, when our roots are very shallow and our times when, when the weeds of this world is choking out. The Bible says that we, we need to prepare our minds in 1 Peter 1.13. Prepare our minds for action. So in other words, uh, you know, it used to be that people come to church and they would be absolutely silent in the church. And there were big cathedrals. And, and your mind would just go like, wow, God's amazing. And that was the... But today, uh, we're more lax. We're all chit-chatting. And we come into the service and we chit-chat until, you know, the song has even started. And we're still doing our chit-chatting. And there's been no preparation time to come before God. And so we hope that the worship time that we do each Sunday... That that's preparing your heart. You're worshiping God and God is going to speak to us. And so that's part of why we, we worship God, why we sing songs. It's to get us in that listening mode uh, and our hearts connecting with God. Uh, and then there's the prayer. But, but I think that the, the lack of that quiet time in church, our church service, maybe that's something we need to pick up the slack in at home before we come to church. And to ask God, God, can you speak to me at church today? And spend some quiet time preparing our hearts to go into the house of the Lord to hear his voice. And whether that be, you know, your private devotional time, church, or your, your Sunday school class, or your, your small group that, where you're studying the Bible, but spend some time preparing yourself to hear God's word. And I believe when we do that, when we've prepared the ground of our hearts, the word can penetrate in us and it will produce in us fruit, fruit that will spring up to everlasting life. Well, so plow the soil is the first thing. Second thing we need to do is we need to put down roots, right? We, a lot of times Christians, they, you know, they, they seem to get like, I, w- I want my fire insurance, you know. I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer. And then I've got my free ticket to heaven. And that's all they want. And I'm telling you, I don't think they are Christians if that's all they want. Because God says that when we accept Christ, we are born again. And that creates in us a hunger and thirst to go deeper. And unless someone puts down roots into the Word of God and into, into a relationship with God, they're not going to be fruitful in their ministry. There needs to be a relationship. So what does this relationship look like? Well, it looks like having a, like any other relationship. If you have a relationship with your spouse, if you don't talk to them or if all you do is fight with them, not much of a relationship. It's going to go south and it's not, it's not going to be productive. It's not going to be healthy. But if you have a productive relationship, if you're a good communicator with your spouse, uh, it will produce healthy children, healthy relationships all around, very good things. So it is with God. We need to go deep with God. Jesus said, 
unless you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can do nothing. In other words, all ministry will dry up. And your effectiveness as a Christian will dry up. Uh, you know, it's interesting that, that these plants that only had shallow roots, that they, that, that you, what killed them? Do you remember what, what killed the plants with the shallow, shallow roots? The sun. Now, doesn't the sun cause growth in plants? I mean, it's the very thing that is supposed to cause growth, supposed to cause photosynthesis, is causing their death. Do you know that the Christian life, the trials, the difficulties, the persecution that we experience, they cause us to grow deep. We need to be deep or they're going to cause us to die. Okay? And so it's very vital that we grow deep. And so uh, let me share a little story about growing deep. There was this 10-year-old boy, and uh, he had lost his left arm in a, uh, in a horrible car accident. And uh, so he, he only had one arm, but he wanted to learn judo to defend himself. And uh, he just wanted to learn judo, but he only had one arm. So he wasn't quite sure if he'd be accepted, but he went to this judo school and, and there was a Japanese judo master there. And he said, yeah, 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 you can join. And he started training this 10-year-old. And, uh, and the, the 10-year-old was actually a really quick learner and was learning a lot. And after about three weeks, this young lad, he said to, to his sensei, he said, sensei, uh, you know, I've been doing this for three weeks and I'm getting pretty good at this move you, you showed me, but uh, aren't we going to lear- learn other moves? And the sensei said, nope, this is the only one you need. And the boy was like confused, but he thought, well, he seems to know what he's talking about. I'll just learn this move. And so they practiced this one move over and over and over for months, actually. And he got very good at this one judo move, you know. Um, And then it came time for the tournament. And so he went to a tournament and he very quickly won his first two matches. Just he beat these other kids. Uh, Even though he only had one arm, he beat them really quick. And then his third match had a little more trouble. But all of a sudden, his opponent made a mistake, and he saw the opportunity, and and he and he uh, did this flip on him, and and pinned him down. Worked out great. Well, then he kind of moved up in the rankings, and he ended up facing this bigger kid, uh, much stronger, more experienced, and uh, and uh, during the match, the uh, the um, overseer kind of said. Uh, took a time out and said to the sensei, I, I think, you know, because this 10-year-old guy was kind of getting, getting the short end of the state. He was getting beat pretty bad. Uh, but he hadn't lost yet. Uh, and, and the master said, you know, I, I think we should probably end this. And the sensei said, no, I think we should carry on. Okay. And the match carried on. And then the, the uh, older, heavier kid got a little impatient and tried to do a move. And then the, the little kid saw his opportunity and flipped him and, and pinned him down. And he, he won the whole tournament. And uh, on the way home, he's like, he's like really excited. Uh, and they started, he started going over all the, the events with the sensei. And, and they were going over the thing. And this is what you could have done. And then finally, the boy said, sensei, how did I win the tournament with just one move? 
Like, I don't get it. And the sensei said, you won for two reasons. First, you've almost mastered one of the most difficult throws in all of judo. And secondly, the only defense for that move is to grab the opponent's left arm. (laughs) The boy's biggest weakness had become his greatest strength, right? And so it is with our Christian walk. You might think that following Jesus Christ deeply, sincerely, makes you someone who's like a doormat, you know? Jesus gives his life for everybody else. He lets everybody walk over him. He doesn't fight when they attack him. (coughs) He's always helping the poor, helping the downcast. He's always, you know, hanging around with, with the nobodies. Like, why doesn't he hang around with the important people? But no. But when you follow Jesus and your roots go deep, deep, deep and you do things his way (laughs) you will be the most effective as a Christian we need deep roots the shallow you know knowing 16 different moves but only a little bit not going to help you you need to know the master deeply you need to be connected we need we need to be connected with him the Bible says that in Hebrews, that some people who fail have failed to grow, to go on to maturity. The Bible says that, that uh, we need to keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. There are the deep things. It doesn't work to be a shallow Christian. It doesn't work to be a non-growing Christian. That's why Paul prayed about the Ephesians. He prayed that you, that you would be established and rooted in love. There is something about the Christian faith that doesn't work superficially. In fact, I would say that there are a lot of families losing their children to secularism as they become adults because of superficiality in the Christian life. The, the teenagers, they, they, they grow up in the Christian home. They understand it all. But when they see their parents, they realize it's superficial. It's not very deep. And they're just not interested in that. But I'm telling you, the, the parents that I've seen who are deep, committed, passionate about Christ, and live it out in their family life, nine times out of ten, those children follow Christ. Why? Because it's the fruit of living a passionate, deep, rooted Christian life. The fruit is, it happens in your children or those you teach and lead. So we have to ask ourselves, is our Christianity deep or is it shallow? Which one is it? How How do you go deep? Well, I think, I think you all know how to do that. You have a deep relationship with Christ. One that starts your day with Bible reading and prayer. Or if, if maybe you're young and you're not awake at that time, later on, you know, ends the day with Bible study and prayer. I don't know. Uh, but the Bible, but and then also it, it includes things like, like a, a small group where you can discuss 
theological issues where you can discuss how the Bible impacts you and how you're trying to implement the scriptures in your daily life and in your situation. That's got to be included in there. And then, of course, there's church. The Bible says don't give up meeting together as is the habit of some in Hebrews. It's very clear that that's part of that growth pattern of bringing it deep into your Christian life. So if, you're, if you've not been growing spiritually and God's word had not produced fruit in your life, maybe you need to plow your heart and get it ready for the gospel, for the Bible to impact it. Maybe you need to put down roots and get serious about your Christianity and then you'll produce fruit. Third thing, pull the weeds. <laughs> Pull out the weeds. I mean, these are just natural farming things, right? Break up the ground. Uh, make sure that, they, you know, add dirt to where there's rocky ground. Uh, I know in front of the church here, you can see it. If you go out in front of the church, there'll be a portion of the grass that is half dead. And you know why it's that way? Because the municipality put about this much dirt on top of gravel and expected our lawn to grow on there. And it doesn't grow very well. The rest of the lawn grows great. So what are you supposed to do? Well, you dig out the, the rock and you put on thicker soil, you know. Um, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm into talking about the weeds, not the thorns. <laughs> Got back into the last one. Uh, so the third type of ground is the thorny ground and the, the thistles. This represents, of course, the cares of this world. What are those? Those are, those are good things. You know, I need to eat. I need to live in a house. I need to provide for my family. I want to see my kids go to college, graduate. What does all that take? Money. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. But then it says, and so the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. See, the problem is, is that the cares of this world the reasons we have to go to work and make money, then we make money and it deceives us. And we start trusting in the money rather than in God. And we start trusting in our own abilities to raise money and to get wealthy and to have a good life. We're going to have a good life because we've made all this money. And, we've, and it deceives us. And our spiritual lives become unfruitful. Because why? Because we start following a different leader in our life. It's called money. It's called success. It's called making it. And it might be tied up in your car. Or it might be tied up in your house. Or in your yacht. Or whatever it might be. I don't know. Okay, none of you have yachts. Okay, but it might be tied up somewhere that is very physical. And it's dangerous. And we need to pull up those weeds. The Wall Street Journal had an article about people who made uh, large salaries, executives. And they asked them all, you know, are you making enough money? And all of them, even though they had six-figure salaries, all of them, all of them responded, uh, no, not really. I need a little... And basically, they, they either said how much they would need, which was always a little bit more than they were already making. And this we find is true no matter you, whether you're making 20000 a year 
80,000 a year. It doesn't really matter. Everybody wants to just have a little bit more. (laughs) It's the deceitfulness of riches. It deceives us. It causes us to think we just need some more. And it causes us to put our efforts in the wrong place. So how do, you get, how do you pull up these weeds? Well, God might be calling you to sell your prized possession that is taking all your time, that you're polishing every Saturday and waxing. I don't know. God might tell you that. You know, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, what did he say? He, you know, the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to be, be saved? Now, how many of you know what you're supposed to do to be saved? Okay, come on. So, so what do you need to do to be saved? Receive Jesus. So that's what Jesus told this guy, right? Just receive me into your heart and you'll be saved. No, that's not what he told him. What did he tell the rich young ruler? Sell everything and give it to the poor and come follow me. <laughs> and we're like, well, that doesn't sound like the gospel to me. Oh, it's the gospel, all right. You see, this man's heart was taken in his things. And so there was no room for Christ in there. It was already all full. And Jesus, the Bible actually says that Jesus loved him. Jesus loved this man. And so he told him to sell all he had. Wow, that's a challenging love. What? Sell all I have? Give it, to the, give it away? But it's because Jesus loved him, he knew that he would never escape the clutches of the deceitfulness of riches. And so for him, the gospel message was sell everything you have. And I think in North America today, I think that's the gospel that Jesus would be preaching today a lot more than we think he would be. That would be just a common message. And I think that for us, the materialism has gripped the North American church so hard that I would say that the vast majority of unproductiveness in the North American church is caused by the deceitfulness of riches. We just don't know how to handle the fact that we are one of the richest people groups in the world. We have more stuff. We have more expendable cash than anybody for generations past and and then most of the people in the world it's just who we are and and honestly it's choking the north american church to death and we're not having productivity because of that and there are other nations that are far outstripping us when it comes to sending missionaries when it comes to sending Uh, uh, maturing Christians and all these things. Even though the gospel may have been in Canada for a lot longer than in a place like Korea, uh, we're getting left behind the dust because the gospel is... is They're passionate there. (laughs) The number of Koreans that wake up at 5 in the morning to pray is unbelievable. And to go to prayer meetings every day in the morning, unbelievable. And God is producing fruit. And in fact, the vision school that we have here at our church, it started in Korea because they're passionate about winning the lost for Christ. Uh, and so how do we pull out weeds? How do we pull out this, this, 
wealth that we have? Well, I think one of the best methods is to sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Now, I know a lot of you are going to be going like, okay, I got a hard heart all of a sudden, Pastor. (laughs) I don't really want to hear that message. And so I'm going to challenge you with something else. I'm going to say, look, why don't you crucify yourself and tithe? Give it 10, 10% of what you own away. Give, just give it to the church or to you know the poor or I don't care where. It's a great starting point. And it says that my pocketbook doesn't rule my life. Now you might say, well, pastor, that's an Old Testament requirement. I mean, Jesus fulfilled the tithe. Uh, he tithed and he fulfilled that so we don't need to tithe. You're right. You can do it the New Testament way and sell all your stuff. Or you can do it the Old Testament way and just give 10%, you know? Like, you know what You know what happened in the New Testament, right? They sold their land, and what did they do? They bring the whole amount, okay? When you sell a house, $400,000, do you bring the whole amount and dump it in the offering plate? I've never seen that done. Like, uh, but go ahead if you want to, be a New Testament about it. That's fine, I don't mind. And I think it will solve this problem of choking out the, the, the gospel and the, the word of God in your life. It will solve that problem. If you give all your money to the poor, you will become dependent upon God and God will bless you. And I'm sure of it. But for most of us, 10% is like, whoa, that's, whoa. <laughs> you know? But I think it's the least we can do. And if we have been redeemed by Christ and we've been born again, then that generosity becomes natural and it becomes a part of us. And it's a great way to kill off the old man is to at least tithe. But I I would actually challenge you to go far beyond that with offerings and gifts. Support a missionary. Get some some sponsored children from all the various organizations. Sponsor some kids. uh, Get involved in in an orphanage across overseas somewhere. Uh, and, and, and just give. And this will start that process of crucifying this materialistic heart that we have. It's, it's just part of the, the process. And, and so whether it's selling off something that you shouldn't have that's, that's warring for your heart, or whether it's simply just being obedient and, and, and doing the least you can do, tithing, uh, these are steps to free ourselves from the hold of materialism in our life. Jesus said this. In response to the, you know, the weeds in our lives that we need to pull out, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, Jesus said this. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? But seek first the, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So, yes, I know that if you sell everything and give it to the poor, uh, or even if you tithe, you will start to feel like, but I need that to live. I need that. I need that. I need that. But I'm telling you, if you do it, God says he's faithful, and he will provide your needs there's an old fable about a miserable rich guy and uh, he went to uh, he went to the the rabbi 
Uh, and he said, you know, Rabbi, uh, I don't know, I just need some help. And the rabbi instantly knew what the problem was. And he said, look, sir, why don't you look through the window and tell me what you see? So he looked through the window and he saw into the streets and he said, well, I see men and women and children out there. He said, yeah, because you're looking through the glass. Now, I come over here. I want you to see this other piece of glass. And he showed him a mirror. And he said, what do you see? And he says, well, I see myself. And, and the rabbi said, yeah, the difference is that there's a silver. Silver has been added to this mirror. And when silver is added to your life, all you see is yourself. You don't see anybody else anymore. If you want to be a productive Christian, probably being rich is not going to be helping you one little bit. It's, it's just not going to help. Um, so these are the three things that we need to do. To, 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 to prepare ourselves to hear God's word. Break up the hard work ground. Do the things that he's already told you to do. Do those because you know what? If you have a hardness of heart over one thing that God has called you to do and you don't deal with that, you're not going to be able to hear anything God says. Secondly, put some roots down. Get some practices in your life uh, that, that by which you will grow to maturity and, and have deep roots in the Christian faith. Thirdly, dig up those roots of materialism that are destroying your faith. But there's a fourth thing. What, did the, what happened when the seed fell on the good soil? It produced what? It produced seeds. It produced seeds. What's the seed represent? The seed represents the gospel, the good news. How many times have you shared your faith with somebody else? You know, you can do all this rooting and digging. and You know, you might grow into this wonderful tree, but it doesn't have any fruit on it. It's <laughs> not much good. God wants us to grow in productive, into productive Christians, Christians that are producing fruit. And in this instance, I believe that at least it, it might mean many other ways that to be fruitful, but at least this one way is very obvious that we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. That is absolutely obvious from this passage. So if you think that, oh, I'm growing to be good seed and I'm doing all these things and now I must be good seed, but you haven't gone that final step, sharing your faith with people, I have my doubts. You haven't really arrived there. So right at the beginning, I, said, I warned us, you know, like, let's not be smug about this. And I don't think Jesus shared this, this parable so that we could be smug. I think it's very challenging parable. And we have work to do to cultivate ourselves so that we can produce the gospel message to other people, become a Sunday school teacher or a, or a leader or, you know, sharing your faith with your neighbor or your colleagues at work, just being able to, it just bubbles out of you. You see, if your roots are deep and your heart's not hard and you've ripped out the, the, uh, the materialism out of your life, it will show. People will be going like, what is with this guy? He lives so differently. He's giving his money away all the time. He's always happy. He always seems to have this authority and power around him. What is going on? And you'll be able to share the gospel all the time.
It's not difficult to share the gospel when you're living close to the Lord. So I'd like to end this message with, with just a quote from Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 1. Um, you've heard this before when I preached through that book. But I like this quote. For if you possess these qualities, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Let's just confess together our sins and um, just ask God to help us in this endeavor. Father, we confess that we've had hard hearts, Lord. You've tried to speak to us. Maybe you've tried to speak to us about tithing before. You've tried to speak to us about uh, getting up on time or or having a, a personal devotional life. And Lord, our hearts have been hard. And so, Lord, we just confess these things. We confess, Lord, that we've had things in our life that you don't want them there. And we've hardened our hearts towards you. And so, Lord, I'm, we're, I'm sorry for this. And I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me and help me to root out that thing that I need to get rid of or to add that thing that I need to add. Lord, help me to, to live my life deeply in Christ, rooted and established in the love of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help me to rip out the weeds of materialism in my life. And Lord, I just once again I, I'll ask for this gift of evangelism, Lord, that I would be able to share my faith more effectively that I would be a good soil, productive. Lord, help me to disciple the people I have led to the Lord. I pray that you'd help me to disciple the ones that are around me, my family and my friends. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be a good teacher and a leader. For Lord, I want to be fruitful in my Christian life. I don't want to be useless to you. So, Lord, I offer you my life, and I ask now that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I would be able to do these things that I've just committed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.